Well, thanks for tuning in. My name is Parker Johnson, and this is the Midweek Devotional. Today is Tuesday, January the 19th. Well, tomorrow, the 20th, is a big day in our country, and I hope that you'll join me in prayer uh, before we begin our Midweek Devotional uh, as we pray for a day of peace tomorrow uh, with the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden. Let's pray. So, Father, it is our desire and our hope and our prayer that tomorrow would be one of peace, that there would be a peaceful transition of power in our country. We pray, Father, for President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, Lord, that you would bless them. Uh, Father, calls them to walk with you deeply, to love you deeply, to follow your word deeply. Um, Lord, may they be used by you to bring uh, unity and peace in our land. Father, we pray that you would work in the hearts of all of our elected officials. Uh, Father, those who are going out, those who are coming in, uh, and Father, those who are continuing, uh, that our land would be one that glorifies you. Uh, Lord, as we mark the uh, week of the sanctity of life, uh, Sunday, uh, as we think about the historic ruling of Roe v. Wade. We do pray, Father, for the end of abortion in our land. Uh, Lord, we pray that the voice of those who are not heard, whether they are in the womb or uh, at the end of their lives, wherever they may be in whatever situation, Lord, that we would be a neighbor. Uh, Lord, that we would love them as you have taught us to love them. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today I'm, I want us to look at Luke chapter 10 uh, with the parable of the Good Samaritan. The reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is we have the Ministerial Association here on Thursday here at our church. We're hosting this time, and I'll be sharing uh, from this passage. It is one that has been on my mind a lot. I will say the first time I taught on this uh, back in 2000. Uh, I don't know, 12? Let's see, when did I get here? 2013? So I guess it would be 2014. Uh, the night I taught on the parable of the Good Samaritan, I was heading home, and there was on the right side of the road somebody broken down. And what do you think I did? I just kept on going. <laughs> well, at least for two blocks. Two blocks later, the Holy Spirit you know, increasingly was becoming uh, convicting upon my heart. And I turned around and I went back and helped this person uh, push their car out of the middle of the road. Their, their battery was uh, dead or I can't remember what it was, but they had someone on the way that just needed that part. And you know what? It ended up being somebody connected to our church, a family member of someone at the church. Uh, you know, it, isn't that amazing? You know, so I, I hope that I will learn this lesson well and better than I did that night and that I will obey more quickly. We're not going to read all of it up first. First, I want to read uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, which sets up the parable, and then we'll read the parable and talk about it. Hear now the word of the Lord. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So here's the situation. Jesus is teaching and a lawyer, someone who was an expert in God's law, stood up to put Jesus to the test. He, he was not there for, uh, to be on Jesus' side. He was there to see if he could trap Jesus to catch him in something wrong. So his motivation was all wrong. This wasn't an honest question in the sense of him really wanting to know. But it really is interesting as we look at his question, it's very telling. Listen to this teacher. So he calls him a teacher, a rabbi, a term of respect. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now he mixes metaphors here. All of a sudden we see that there is a problem here. Because he is asking what he can do, that is his action, his effort, in order to inherit eternal life. Now, you don't do anything to inherit. I mean, I guess you could kill somebody so you could inherit their stuff. But I would imagine the, uh, the government might have something else to say about that situation. You don't, and you don't do anything to receive a, free, receive a free gift. In fact, if we do do something to receive a free gift, then it is no longer a gift. It is something that we have earned, even if it is heavily discounted. So he is asking a, a mixed question here. What do I do in order to get something that really is only a gift, something you cannot do anything for? Jesus turns the situation on its head, and, and he puts him um, in the the. Uh, spotlight and asks him, hey, hey, what do you think? What's written in the law? You know, it's, uh, it, it really is interesting. Um, the lawyer is going to put together the first and second greatest commandments. First, to love your God, and the second, to love your neighbor, which is the right answer. These two things, when we think about what the law summarizes, rather, these two things summarize the entire law, the first six commandments, excuse me, the first Four commandments, rather, deal with our duty to God, and the second six commandments have to do with our duty to man. And so he has summarized the two tables or the two parts of the Ten Commandments of the moral law. Uh, Jesus says, look, good job. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus, you know, he, he says, hey, you're right. You are absolutely right. If you do that, if you do that, you're going to live. That is, if you perfectly obey the law of God with never failing, you can earn eternal life. And that was only possible with Adam and Eve before the fall. Now we are born with sin as sinners, and we give great evidence of that fact that we are sinners every day of our lives and everything we think and say and do. Now, have you ever been in one of those situations where you wish that you could take your own words back or, or perhaps reach out and close the mouth of someone else saying, okay, that's enough, like stop, stop, stop now, stop now. Oh, yeah, that, he really just went there. Well, the lawyer is not content, uh, content with where things stand, and he wants to keep pushing in. He really, you know, he just really shouldn't have. Verse 29 says, But he, this is a lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Okay, what's going on here? Well, let's pick out a couple things. One, he uses a really important word. He says, desiring to justify himself. What is he trying to do? Well, you know, he's trying to make everybody think he's a good person. He's trying to get Jesus. He's trying to put himself in moral authority over Jesus. Oh, that's not generally something that you 
want to do, do you? Um, but this word justify uh, elsewhere uh, is used in a legal sense in the terms of being declared righteous and forgiven of our sin is what happens to us at salvation. And it's not done by doing things. It is done to us by God, a gift that we receive by faith in what Christ has done. And in faith alone, you cannot justify yourself. You can't make yourself just before God. So what does he do? In order to justify himself, he's going to ask a question that is meant to narrow the definition of who his neighbor is in order to make this commandment possible to be obeyed. Now, we do this all the time. The Pharisees did this all the time. Uh, This is what happens when we come to a rule that we cannot keep. We seek to define the rule as narrowly as possible so that there might be some small chance of, not, of us keeping it. Think about this. Uh, thou shalt not murder, right? I have not murdered anybody with a gun, a knife, with my hands, with my car. I can tell you that honestly, right? Okay, so if we just narrowly define that commandment, the sixth commandment, um, thou shalt not murder, as long as you have not pulled the trigger on somebody, you're okay on that one. But that's not all there is to that commandment, is there? Jesus tells us real clearly in the Sermon on the Mount that if we have ever been sinfully angry at someone in our heart or called someone a fool, then we have already murdered them. That it has to do with intent and motivation and what's in our heart. And so we know that we are all murderers in that sense. And needing of the blood of Christ to justify us, right? Well, he is trying to narrow things down so that he can define his neighbor as the smallest group of people so that he can obey it. So what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus is going to answer this situation with this parable. Starting at Luke 10, verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these, excuse me, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. All right, so what's going on here? Well, there are three different men traveling down um, to Jericho. Well, we really might say four. The the first one is this Jew uh, who has left Jerusalem, apparently, heading to Jericho, and he has been beaten, left for dead, and stripped. Now, this road between Jerusalem and Jericho was 17 miles long, but it was a hard road, a hard road for a couple reasons. One is it had a significant amount of um, declination. Is that the right word? Uh, decrease in elevation. I think that would be a better way to put it. 2,700 feet separates from top to bottom, uh, Jerusalem down to Jericho. 
somewhere I read, and I, don't, I can't remember if this is correct or not, that Jericho is one of the lowest cities in the world uh, in terms of its standing in terms of the sea level. Uh, but I, I, don't, I might need to Google that one. Uh, it is known as the Bloody Way because it was rocky and barren, and there were lots of good hiding places for bandits. That said, it was a regularly traveled road. Why is that? Well, it was the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and Jericho was a priestly city. A lot of priests and a lot of Levites lived in Jericho, and they would have to go to and fro along this road in order to go to Jerusalem, in order to fulfill their duties as priests and Levites. Remember, Levites are those who helped serve in the temple, not as priests, not doing the sacrifices, but helped with a lot of the logistical things. Well, this one Jew is going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets beaten up real bad, left for dead, robbed, clothes torn off. Two people are going to come by and not help him. The third, though, will help him. One important thing to ask when any time we come to um, a text in God's Word is to ask, who are the characters, the who, what, when, why, where questions? Who are these people? Well, let me rephrase this. Complete this sentence in your mind, if you will. A priest, a minister, and a rabbi walk into a, what did you say? Did you say bar? Well, of course you did, right? Because that, that's because we as a culture know that that's a, a way of setting up a joke. Well, in those days, there was a common structure for teaching, and everyone would have known what was coming next. In those days, for teaching purposes, they used this uh, group of three. It was a priest, a Levite, and an Israelite. An Israelite, a priest, a Levite, and an Israelite. And so if, they, if you would have said them priest, Levite, and blank, they would have said without batting an eye, Israelite. So who are these people? The first is a priest. Um, now, a lot of priests lived in Jericho, and priests by this time were spending two weeks a year serving in the temple. There were just so many of them, they, they had to take turns. Uh, this man had... Um, well, you know what? I think that's right. But here my notes say that 